0: I think the most underutilized and underappreciated weapon in the chiropractor's arsenal, I like that so much better than tool in toolbox, is the use of sustained pressure. I think a lot of times we undervalue sustained pressure and maybe we don't really comprehend what it's doing and how it's helping us, but more importantly, how it's helping the patient. The thing about sustained pressure is that there's actually two different applications of it. And so let me start by talking to you about the one that you're probably used to and probably aware of. And then I'll give you one that's a little bit, a little bit different that maybe you're not so aware of. The first one would be the use of sustained pressure on the back end of the adjustment. In other words, it's the concept of thrust and hold. And this is a a concept that's given to us in uh, the purple book. Uh, It goes into some detail as to the, the mechanics of why this works. But I think you gotta take it back even further than that. The idea that Gonstead was doing a thrust and hold in a day and age when toggling was very popular. So there was a lot of toggling that was happening. And so he came up with this, or he, he decided, I guess, that he was going to do a thrust and hold, which made a lot of sense. And one way or the other, the thrust and hold and the knee chest table go hand in hand together. Whichever came first, I don't know. The DHS table probably came second. I imagine it was in that attempt to get a good thrust and hold that he came up with an idea of a better positioning for the patient. But I wasn't there. I don't know which one came first. But the idea of a thrust and hold works for us because once you make the adjustment, there are some soft tissues uh, surrounding the joint as well as the disc itself. that's able to make a slow transition under pressure and by making a thrust and hold, you give the body a chance to adapt to the new placement. And in that adaptation is kind of the secret sauce for being able to get faster results. Because if you're allowing the body to make that movement on its own, it's going to solidify the results of the adjustment, and you're gonna get more benefit from each individual adjustment. And so when you start compounding those, you realize that by thrusting and holding, you're gonna take the amount of time it takes for that joint to get settled and to have some stay put value, then you're most likely gonna cut it in half, maybe even more so. And so that's the reason for the thrust to hold. Uh, we also uh, see this in the fact that it, it provides better comfort for the patient as well. Toggling is very much not comfortable, um, kind of like having a hard pisiform. Can you make an adjustment of the hard pisiform? Sure you can. Is it comfortable for the patient? No. And so then you have to ask, if the patient is not comfortable, how effective is my adjustment going to be? Or maybe it is effective, but how much more effective would it be if I didn't make the patient uncomfortable? And that's the reason why patient comfort becomes such a huge issue with any adjustment you perform, because the more comfortable the patient is when the adjustment's made, the better adjustment you're going to give, the more ability to thrust and hold, all of these things compound make a more productive adjustment to make an adjustment that's going to give more benefit uh, and help them in the long run and so uh, one of the applications we often use with the thrust and hold would be found in uh, in the acute patient so if we if we look at the acute patient there's a, a process and I don't know how many schools teach this or how often people get this. But I do know that at Life University, we actually had it as part of the curriculum. It was the week three lab that we would put everybody on a high low. And we had, um, in the adjusting room, we had these high lows. They didn't go up and down, but they were true high lows. And so we put the patient on the high low and we would practice the pumping action that we do. And so um, pumping is another variation of the same principle applied slightly differently so in the pumping action, what you get is the ability to make a front side change. Uh, So we do this with the acute patient. And so when the the patient's laying there, you, you apply a gentle force and you take it down as much as they can allow. And then you just simply hold it there and the patient will slowly begin to relax underneath you. And I want to briefly mention that because that's going to be key. To something i'm going to talk about in just a little bit but developing a feel for that response from the patient developing the ability to feel how the patient relaxes underneath you and allows the adjustment to go so that in many cases uh, i've done it many times i know other people do it as well there are times when you can adjust a patient face down on your pelvic bench or um, on a slot table where you have no give like in the high low and, and this is more important when the patient is having um, severe pain from the translation, the movement of say an L5. When they're having that much pain that you put them on a high low and even if you lock the high low, the cushion itself has enough give that it causes them some issues. So at that point you can use a pelvic bench or a slot table and you can adjust them there face down But the best way to do it is not to give much of a thrust, but to simply apply pressure in the line of correction. And so this is something that if you don't have good palpation skills, or you feel like you wish you had better palpation skills, uh, this is an area that will greatly grow your ability to palpate. Um, If you have somebody like this, and even if you don't, even if it's just somebody who's willing to volunteer um, to let you do some work, just just to practice, just to, to gain some skills, Especially if it's somebody, if you have somebody that you know you can adjust their L5 side posture, before you do that, put them prone and just feel how that thing moves and how it doesn't move. Uh, Apply some pressure uh, in the line of correction, allow them to relax out from underneath it. If they're not relaxing out from underneath it, you might have the wrong line of correction. And so it really helps to build your skill as far as hunting, to find that line of correction, to find the uniqueness of that joint and how that joint on that person needs to move. And so then even if you don't adjust them that way and you're doing side posture, you will actually find that you have a better idea of where that bone needs to go because you felt it that way. But it would be really cool if you could just give some pressure, hold that pressure, allow them to rock south from underneath it. And a lot of times it just kind of moves on its own, just under your body weight. And so for you to do that, you cannot sustain that pressure with a muscle contraction. So you don't want to push into them. What you want to do is get your arm in a proper line of correction, get your body weight over your arm and basically just lean on them, just rest on them. Control how much pressure your body weight is providing, especially if you have a little more upper body weight like I do, I sometimes have to pull back and restrict how much is coming in. But you can just give that body weight compression and under that body weight compression, they will slowly relax out of it. So this is another skill, learning to get the patient to do what you want by coaxing them with comfort, coaxing them with line of drive, coaxing them with what you're doing to guide them there. And so it's a great way to practice that. And so we do use that application uh, for the acute disc. Sometimes they're so acute, or here's a great example. When the patient comes in and you realize there's no way I'm moving this. So you put a little bit of pressure on it. And about that time, the patient goes, well, I've been putting heat on it all day long. And you're thinking, well, no wonder that explains everything. So in those situations, I'm going to end up sending them home, having them ice it for a few hours, Uh, four to six hours would be ideal. I could do four on the short end, but I'd really like six if I can get six hours, have them come back and we'll try it later in the afternoon. But before I send them home, I would like to pump a little bit and get some of that inflammation out of there. So I'll do this, not really expecting anything. Sometimes it'll move, sometimes it doesn't, depends on how much they blew it up with the heat, but you can, you can use this pumping action. And it's a great way of getting an acute patient back under control. And you'll give them some relief because even just from pumping on it, they'll come up and even if nothing moved, and you both agree nothing moved, they'll stand up and say, well, it already feels better. And you'll tell them, yes, that's because you had so much inflammation in there. Just by getting some of the inflammation out, you're already feeling better. So I want you to ice, get more of that inflammation out of there. Then you're going to come back and I'll be able to set that thing in place. And then you'll be doing much better after that. And so that's a great place when you can predict that ahead of time. They come in, you do exactly that. When that thing moves, they instantly feel much better and they're like, wow, you're a prophet. You knew that was gonna happen that way. So it gives them confidence that you knew what was gonna happen and that maybe this isn't the first time you've done it. Uh, Another little tip on those is that if they come in in six hours and it's still feeling really swollen and they're really sensitive, I recommend a pull move, but maybe not the way a lot of people do them. it's gotta be a pull move that has almost no rotation. And so this is something I'll probably have to make a video about at some point. Um, but it's gotta be a, 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 move, a pull move that has almost no rotation. So if your pull moves involve rotation, probably not the best way to do that. In that case, I would use a push move and I would use a lot of public stabilization. And so one thing I'll just briefly mention is that to me, the ideal ability to adjust doesn't mean that you have one push move and one pull move that you use on everybody. To really be able to adjust means that you have the ability to adapt your adjustment to the patient so that maybe there's more support on the pelvis, maybe you drop down a little bit, you can move your stabilization around, you can move your contact hand, you can move your elbow and your line of inclination. All of those things need to be adaptable so that By my definition, if you're going to be a great adjuster, you need to be able to adapt to the circumstances, deliver almost any adjustment that might be called for at any time, rather than just saying, well, this is how I do it. And I do it this way every time. That's good. That's definitely a good starting point. Everybody needs to reach that point. But from there, that's the next goal is how do I get versatility so I can adapt to my circumstances? Because that's the thing that's going to start to make a big difference.